as was already mentioned in the announcements, what a wonderful opportunity and privilege it is this morning with smiles on our faces perhaps to appreciate the goodness of a new day the Lord has made and that we've been given the opportunity to assemble in his name to offer worship unto him, the only true and living God, and in so doing to encourage one another to live in a way faithful unto God. We are blessed with visitors, as so often is the case, and for you certainly we're appreciative and thankful for your presence and for our membership as well, that we each are such that things are well with us today and that we can come together like this. As we come together today, you might have noted in the bulletin that the title of the lesson is If Jesus Came to Your House. With a few introductory thoughts, you might have noted in the reading that Zacchaeus is a person who in fact had that opportunity and privilege and might I challenge each of us today to think a little bit about that as well. Isn't it amazing that so often appearances might well be deceiving? And by that I mean others that know you and that know me. Perhaps by virtue of the fact they always see us in a certain place, perhaps at work, or perhaps a friend whom we know at school. They only see one side of us and they may have an impression of us that is not most basically that which is correct. We may be someone totally different when we're away from them, when we're with other people. That attitude of character perhaps helps us for think that most instances at home, when we're in the confines of that place most safe and secure to us, and in the friendly confines of those who love us most, we are perhaps most easily open and we really show who we truly are. That being said, as we contemplate house and home today, might we contemplate, what if Jesus came to visit you or came to visit me? What if he showed up and knocked on your door and planned two or three days to stay with you? What would it be like? Over the next few moments this morning, could we take a small journey and put ourselves in that very situation? Perhaps the very one in which Zacchaeus found himself and contemplate. Would anything need to change? Perhaps nothing would need to, and what a blessing and glory that would be if Jesus came to your house. The impression that we hope to gain then today on an individual basis might well be this. Each of us need to be honest with ourselves. We need not put on appearances, for the Lord knows our heart already. In Hebrews 4.13 we're reminded, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We, you see, can't conceal or hide anything from him. He knows it already. And if we think that we are, we're really only deceiving ourselves. Perhaps we can begin with Zacchaeus. Let's return to Luke 19, verse number 1 through 5. And in fact, that reading continues a little bit beyond that. But let's at least strike the higher points and set the stage for our lesson this morning. We will remember that Jesus at the time we reached the 19th chapter of Luke, was on a very fateful journey. A journey that would take him to the capital city of Jerusalem, a city in which he ultimately would meet his death. He would, in fact, die upon that cross. And as we learn those events of Luke 19, at this point he was passing through that well-known place of Jericho. Living in this place was a man whose name was Zacchaeus. We learn much about Zacchaeus, though in fact this is the only specific place he's mentioned. He, by profession, was a tax collector. He was in fact one who was employed, it would seem, by the Roman emissaries or Roman government, and he collected the taxes of the people and appropriately directed them to the capital city at Rome. 
We also learn, though interestingly, in verse number 2, that this man was rich. It was a common state of affairs in that day and time that those who were employed by Rome to collect taxes frequently took more than what they were reasonably allowed to take. And they would take that excess and divert it to their own pockets, and hence they often became rather wealthy individuals. It would appear that Zacchaeus was of that variety. As Zacchaeus was a rich man, verse number 2, it is, though rather notably and favorably commented in verse 3, he sought to see Jesus. He had a desire to see, in fact, this one who had done so much, wrought so many miracles, who had taught so many different things in so many different ways. He sought to see Jesus. But there was a problem. The problem had to do with himself. The Savior was very popular. Multitudes would throng about him in the various cities and byways in which he passed, desirous of seeing him. No doubt many had heard of his miraculous capability and would bring those that were ill or sick, maybe even themselves, in order that they might be healed of some great disease or other infirmity. The Lord was popular indeed. Thus, as the Lord came through Jericho, multitudes had thronged about him, but Zacchaeus was short. He could not see over the press. He was unable to work his way through it, apparently. And thus, for that reason, he could not see the very one whom he desired to see. Not to be outdone, Zacchaeus had a plan. This plan was, since he knew the way by which the Savior would pass through Jericho, he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree and there waited for Jesus to pass by. Isn't it interesting that he knew the way the Savior would trek through that town? And as he ran ahead, he climbed up in the tree and anxiously, no doubt, waited. Notice, if you would, in verse number 5, that same reading that Brother Harold shared with us earlier. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. No doubt that morning when Zacchaeus arose, he may well have had a great desire to see Jesus, and he seems to have followed through on that desire. I'm sure he never hoped that Jesus would actually come to his house. He got more than he wished for that day, don't you suppose? For when Jesus looked up and saw him in that sycamore tree, he proceeded to say, Make haste, Zacchaeus, and come down. Today I must abide at thy house. Might we appreciate the fact that this was a surprise visit? There's no indication that Zacchaeus expected the Lord to come that day to abide with him. No statement that he, in fact, could have looked forward to the reality of such an event. And yet Jesus, wonderfully, majestically, powerfully said, Today, I'm coming to your house. Suppose the Lord were to unexpectedly make his visit to my house or to yours. Would he find things in order? Would he find things that would be of, to his approving and to his approval? Or would he find things that would be a bit on the side of lacking? And would you and I be rebuked by him for what he would discover and find? Put yourself, if you would, in Zacchaeus' place for the next few minutes this morning. When the Lord said that he's coming to your house, would you immediately tremble with fear for you would suspect that he'd find things in disarray? Or would you, with a great thought of joy in your heart, throw the door wide open and gladly welcome the Savior in? Each of us can put ourselves in a position to think about that. If you would, I 
placed a few thoughts to guide us on our way this morning. But in so doing, let me remind you about a poem that was written many, many years ago. I've heard it often, but I do not know the author. In fact, it has been set to music more than once. Perhaps you'll recognize the words when I read it. The title of the poem is the title to today's lesson, If Jesus Came to Your House, and this is what it asks. If Jesus came to your house to spend a day or two, if he came unexpectedly, I wonder what you would do. Oh, I know you would give him your nicest room, this honored guest, and all the food you would serve to him would be the very best. And you would keep assuring him you're glad to have him there, that serving him in your home is joy beyond compare. But when you saw him coming, would you meet him at the door? with arms outstretched and welcome to your heavenly visitor? Or would you have to change your clothes before you let him in? Or hide some magazines and put the Bible where they had been? Would you turn off the television and hope he hadn't heard and wished you hadn't uttered that loud, hasty word? Would you hide your worldly music and put some hymn books out? Could you let Jesus walk right in or would you rush about? And I wonder if the Savior spent a day or two with you, would you go right on doing the things that you always do? Would you go right on saying the things that you always say? Would life for you continue as it does from day to day? Would your family conversation keep up its usual pace? And would you find it hard each meal to say a table grace? Would you sing the songs you always sing and read the books you always read? and let him know the things your mind and spirit feed? Would you take Jesus with you everywhere you'd plan to go, or would you maybe change your plans for just a day or so? Would you be glad to have him meet your closest of friends, or would you hope that they'd stay away until his visit ends? Would you be glad to have him stay forever on and on, or would you sigh with great relief when at last he is gone? It might be interesting to know the things that you would do if Jesus Christ in person came to spend some time with you. That concludes that poem, but doesn't it pose some challenging reflective points and things that might each of us consider seriously and earnestly if Jesus came to spend some time with you and me? Consider, in fact, the following, if you would. If Jesus came to visit, the poem began by stating there's not a person here, I'm sure, that wouldn't provide the best of rooms in our house and abode for him to stay in. We'd, in fact, make the finest pillows and change the bed covers. All that would be perfect. And makes no doubt about it, we'd make the best food that we have available. All that would be easy to accomplish. But perhaps in a deeper way, what other things would he observe? Would there need to be changes in other arenas and areas of life? The clothes we wear was one thing mentioned. Would we happily let him see the way we leave for work each morning, the way we leave for our social activities when we proceed to recreational events? Would all of that meet his approval? Isn't it fair to say that if we would feel uncomfortable knowing that he would be watching us, we ought not be wearing that at all any time, for he is still watching us whether he's there in person or not. He knows exactly what we wear, whether it's appropriate or whether it isn't. That's a challenging thing to consider, isn't it? In many ways, we know what he'd find in the world. It would make him sick. It would be such that we understand that he would not be pleased with it, but what if he were in the confines, friendly so, of your house and mine? Would that meet his approval? 
I've listed some passages that he might well bring to bear to us if he found that inappropriately so. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, do we not read that you are bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, as Christians, he has purchased us. We belong to him, and thus to wear that which would be inappropriate to him is a disgrace and shame to his name. That does, in fact, pose 1 Timothy 2, verse 9 as well, doesn't it? Though that's particularly such that it makes note of those that are female, we as males understand that there's responsibility for us as well to live modestly and to dress in a chaste and appropriate way before others. What if the Lord were watching you and I as we walked out the door off to work or off to other events? Would our clothing meet his approval? That's a sobering, reflective point, isn't it? But there was other things mentioned in that poem as well. What about the reading material the Lord would find scattered about my house and yours? Would it be something that would bring a smile to his face? Or would it be something that we'd have to frantically, hopefully, detain him on the porch while somebody else in the house put all of that stuff away? It is something to consider, isn't it? As he finds that material, would there be a Bible amongst it? Would there be the Word of God, that cherished thing that he gave us to use to implant into our heart? Would there be a Bible there? And what's more, when he found it, would it be covered over with dust? Obviously, something that hadn't often been opened and looked at. Those things do challenge us to remember how often in the Bible that we read of God's people who found in the Word of God one of the greatest joys, blessings, and benefits of life. In Psalm 119, verse 103, Oh, how thy words are sweet unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey unto my mouth. Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 15, 16, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy words were the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. In Job 23, 12, we notice there Job said, I have esteemed thy word more than my necessary food. Didn't we note the Bereans in Acts 17, verse 11? These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mine and searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. You and I perhaps can easily overlook the greatness of that verse. You and I have Bibles aplenty, or at least access to them. When that was written about the Bereans, there weren't Bibles to be had that easily. In fact, all that was there was scrolls and parchment, and yet they availed themselves of it and searched it diligently, daily, in order to ensure that that which Paul and others had preached was in fact the truth. Would the Savior find a Bible in your house and mine, and one that had obviously been opened with its pages frattered and torn, to where he knew that it had been read and looked at frequently for the guidance and sustenance of life? If that Bible was covered over with dust, it would speak volumes about no doubt our spiritual maturity and what truly was the greatest of treasures in our life, or it would not be his word. The Holy Word of God, you see, we would hopefully be such that the Savior would find it there and to find it having often been looked at. In Romans 10, verse 17, do we not there read, Speaking of faith and the way it grows, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. How else is that faith going to grow and mature? How else will it ever thrive and in fact be great in terms of its degree if it's not fed by the nature of the Word of God? 
these things perhaps present to each of us the considerations. What would the Savior find? Would we be happy to welcome him and to know that all that he would see would be in working good order? The poem also asks us about this. The recreation. When the TV was turned on, if the Savior were sitting there with us, would we have not the slightest consideration that what he'd see would be inappropriate? Would we be resting assured that that which he would see, he would find fully approved? If not, then we shouldn't be watching it now either. You see, whether or not he's there in presence physically, he is watching us. He knows what we are using to feed our spirit, as the poem mentioned. Do we feed it with that which is trash and garbage? For if so, it's not any shock then that our life will be filled with it. For didn't the Savior remind us on many different occasions, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, verse number 7. What is it we thus allow to fill our mind? Or is it constructive, godly, wholesome, sound, and profitable things? Or is it questionable to say the very least, if not outright filthy, unwholesome, vulgar, and inappropriate? That decision's left to us, and we know the answer. What if Jesus came to visit my place or yours? I'm reminded of a little song that we often teach our youngsters at vacation Bible schools or in other areas of life. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. The Father up above is looking down in love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Are we watchful for what we allow our eyes to behold? Are we watchful as to what we choose to allow them to see? There certainly are things in life over which you and I have no control. Perhaps things at work, things that other people display that we do not, don't enjoy seeing. That's not that of which we're speaking here. That which you and I can control, do we choose it to be as wholesome and sound as we can choose it? Perhaps in another area, what about what we choose to listen to? Of the sensory perceptions, we've already discussed what we see. What about that which we hear? Again, it's safe to say that much of that we have no control over, but we do control much of it. What do we choose to listen to? Would Jesus, if he was there listening to the same music we listen to, would we feel comfortable? Or would we immediately shiver in disdain knowing that he's not going to be pleased with it? Observation again. If we know he wouldn't be pleased with it then, then we shouldn't be listening to it now. And no element of music is safe in many ways. Many things in country, rock and roll, you name it, the whole gambit. Those who often author those songs express ideas that are wholly foreign to truth. It is safe to remember the words of Philippians 4.8. When we remember those things that should fill our heart and our mind, do they not utter in things like this? Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. What then should we use to think on? That thought, whether it be from a source of music, whether it be from a source of an article, whether it be from a television program, does it qualify in one of those six categories? True, just, pure, honest, lovely, of good report? That decision is, again, what the Savior no doubt would encourage. The question comes to us, how does it rest upon my life and yours? Would we feel comfortable with the Lord listening to our music? 
Would we enjoy, in fact, to let him share it? Would we offer to let him listen to it? All those are good questions. What if Jesus came to spend some time with you and with me? The poem, though, asks us some other questions as well. Could we not also contemplate some of those too? What about the specific plans that we might have? Would we look forward to having him be by our side throughout the course of the day if he came to visit? Or did we have things planned that we wouldn't feel comfortable having him with us? Things that we would prefer him not to be with us if we were to be doing. Again, that directly means that we shouldn't be doing them anytime, for he is still watching us. He is ever aware of what we do every moment of every day. Is it not still the case that the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good? Proverbs 15:3. Thus, what about my plans and yours? There may well be many things, such as going to work, that we feel sure he would approve and know all about. Are there other things, recreational or social in, in nature, that we know he would not approve of? That's a good question, isn't it? Then we shouldn't be engaging in them. We ought to let them stand by the wayside, ought to remove them from our daily itinerary and agenda. Isn't it true as we contemplate that? What a joy it'd be if we could open the door and feel confident and happy to have him with us every moment of the day. Wouldn't that be a good feeling? To realize that God himself gives his approval to all that you and I might do throughout the course of that day. Notice other things, though, in the poem that were asked of us as well. That poem also required us to consider, what about some of the other factors that would be descriptive of our day? Would we use the day positively or constructively, or would we fritter it away and waste it? Isn't it true that we each have 168 hours in a week, no more and no less, if God lets us live the fullness of that week? Do we use it to His glory? Or do we direct so many of its hours just consuming them in things that really aren't that productive if they're productive at all? As an example, there might be many things on the television that would be noble, but if we spend all day long sitting there in front of it watching it, would the Savior be happy at that? Or would he be much more excited about if we would watch a while and then go implement those good things we've learned to put into practice and activate that which we know to do? In fact, our life, we're told, should be a positive influence for him. How do we reach others with a positive influence when we do not actively involve ourselves with them in any way? Aren't there some good points to be taken from texts such as 2 Corinthians 4 verse 11? As it speaks about the life in Christ, that is to be mine and yours, Paul there said, For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in us. Thus, when others manifest uh, that the life of Christ is in us, obviously they've seen, they've witnessed, they observed. One of the things we can certainly do is try to touch those less fortunate than we. That's not to say that's the only thing, of course. But we're able to touch those that are orphans, those that are widows, those that are sick or afflicted in some way. We have the opportunity to involve ourselves with them in some positive way. And it may not take but a moment of our time to compose a card for them, to call them on the phone, to do something else that might brighten their day just a bit. Would Jesus be happy when he saw what we chose to utilize our time doing? Might we also observe 
in texts such as Galatians 2 verse 20 as it relates to this point? What was it Paul stated in the definition of himself? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. For the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul, in fact, invited others to openly use his life as a testimony. I am crucified with Christ. And what you see me do, you imitate in as much as I imitate Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. What would Jesus discover? What would he find if he came to my house and yours to visit? Jesus, in fact, in words such as these, in John 4, verse 34, he said, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. The Lord did use the word work. He had activities to do. Did he not also say, even when he was a tender age of twelve, Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? Though he was but twelve, he nonetheless knew there was work to be done and he was active and busy about it. May you and I not then choose to fulfill that same activity by working earnestly and honestly and with great diligence in his kingdom. The goodness then that we might see asks us perhaps one other question too. The poem also asks us about our friends. If our friends were to arrive at our house uninvited, would we immediately recoil and wonder at what the Savior would think about the way they behave, the way they would act, the things they would say? Would we be happy if the friends were not to come as long as Jesus was there? That speaks volumes about what we truly know to be the character of our friends. Should we not choose different best friends if that's true? Jesus, of course, would have no problem with us trying to influence them for good. But if we've chosen in a poor way those to be our closest companions, maybe that speaks much about where our treasure and heart truly is. For is it not still true where your treasure is? There will your heart be also. Matthew 6, verse 21. In fact, in light of that, maybe we've often reflected on Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. When there he said, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Or as the American standard renders it, evil companionships corrupt good morals. That moral standing that we know the Savior would approve, do we purposefully choose then to influence or allow the influence of others to call that into question? Something to consider, isn't it? To say all of that is perhaps to say, that the finest Old Testament statement, it seems to me, on the subject of companionship and choosing friends is to be found in the longest chapter of the Old Testament. Psalm 119, verse 63, I am a companion of all them that fear thy name. Choosing those that fear his name to be our best friends, that's a wonderful statement, isn't it? And that is a statement of high esteem and regard for what God would find approving. To close that part of the lesson is perhaps to open the next part, which is to notice what did Zacchaeus do? When Jesus in Luke 19 verse 5 made the offer, Today I must abide at thy house. How did Zacchaeus respond? Have you taken notice of that? I know that as I studied the lesson, it somewhat stood out on the text pages to me. Zacchaeus showed no hesitation. He did not recoil and say, Give me an hour to go get things ready. Give me a half a day before I'll have supper ready, he said in verse number 6. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. 
wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to receive the Savior joyfully? To know that everything was in order, the things that were there to be seen of him would be approved, right, and appropriate to him. It would, in fact, be a very sad thing if he arrived at the door and you and I had to detain him on the porch while the rest of the family got things ready, hiding the things that needed to be hidden, getting things ready that needed to be prepared. We should be prepared all the time. Isn't it still the case that we don't know when the Savior's going to return? The curtain of time may close at any moment. We do not know when the end of time will be. It could be this afternoon, it might be tonight, it could be tomorrow, it may be a million years from now by our perspective. The point is, though, we must always be prepared and always be ready for, in a, in, in a real sense, the Lord could be knocking on your door at any time. And he could be knocking on mine at any time. If I departed the scenes of this life this afternoon, what would be those things in which I was involved when I left? Was I doing something that I should never have been doing? Was I watching something, listening to something that I shouldn't have been watching or listening to? Friend, it would not be a good thing to stand in judgment with that having been the last thing written on the pages of God's book, the last things I had done. May we think soberly and with great reflection, with careful thinking, what if Jesus came to spend some time with you? You and I have no reason thus to hide anything from him, for we cannot anyway. We need to make the determined effort to live in a way with diligence before his sight each day appreciating that the power of his word will guide us into truth and will guide us into the lifestyle that not only he will find pleasing, but will bring glory to his name even amongst others that we may know. Again in verse number 6, received him joyfully. That last word is such a wonderful word, isn't it? With joy, Zacchaeus received Jesus into his house. No doubt that morning he had no idea that Jesus would visit him in person that day and what a great blessing it was. Might it also be a great blessing for us if Jesus were to come and visit. I stated earlier that the words of that poem had been set to music more than once. I think I'm familiar with at least two artists that recorded it at some point in, in their careers. And each time it was sung, may it have the same hopeful response in our life to bring us back to the truth of God's Word that if you and I were like Zacchaeus, could we receive him joyfully? In conclusion, or in summary to our lesson today, might we notice that Zacchaeus had the distinguished privilege of unexpectedly hosting the Son of God in his house. There aren't too many names in the New Testament of whom we know that had that marvelous privilege. It would seem that Lazarus and Mary and Martha certainly did so, and perhaps a handful of others that we know by name. But Zacchaeus was a publican who also had the same privilege. You and I also could be in that same position. How would you respond? If you knew the Lord was coming, would you have to get some things ready or could you gladly let him in at the moment? You and I have the decision to make today about that. If we could help you make things right. First, if you were a child of God, what a great initial step that would be. Are you a Christian today? having reached that point and to where you know what the Savior did for you, would it be something to then have him at your door when all along you had rejected him? All along you had in fact turned your back upon his love? That would not be a good way to start the conversation or the visit, would it? If you are not a Christian today, Jesus then demands that you do this. You must believe him to be the Son of God. He is not one among many. He is the only begotten Son, John 3.16. 
not only in belief, repent of the sins in your life, knowing that they sent the Savior to the cross and that in love He shed His blood for you. After the repentance, confess His name audibly, that others may hear and appreciate the conviction in your heart, and then be baptized, allowing someone to immerse you beneath the surface of water and in that act of burial to wash your sins away. If you need to have that done today too, you don't delay, not for a moment. If you have become a Christian though, but you have allowed Satan a sufficient influence to where many of the things that the Savior might find could not only be called in question, but you have the strong sense that he wouldn't find them pleasing be it the things you watch, the things you see, that which you listen to, the friends you've chosen, make a change in your life. There's still breath in your lungs. Your soul is within you. Make that change while you have the opportunity and the privilege and the time. If we could be of assistance today to pray on your behalf for you to have strength, we'd be honored to do it. If either of these things would be the need of your day today, would you not let it be known even now while together we stand and while we sing?